Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. Well, hello, lovely ones. So good to have you all listening. Today, I'm actually going to be chatting about friendships, dating and sexuality, which I pray will be helpful and super practical as well. So, God purposely created males and females with many differences. And these differences obviously might be physical or emotional, sexual or psychological. And they all reflect different attributes of God. And these differences aren't meant to intimidate us or frighten us. They're not a negative thing. In fact, our differences are meant to be complementary. And our understanding of these differences, whether positive or negative, will impact the way that we perceive and engage with one another as the opposite sex. And this is one of the reasons why Satan has tried his hardest since the Garden of Eden to violate and misuse these God-given differences between the sexes so that there would be misunderstanding and contention instead of celebration and honour between the sexes. So, in this fallen world, we find masculinity is often feared and used to gain control and to subdue or to exert authority or power or we find that it's been misused or violated or lost or compromised where men are simply not walking as men and a recent example of men diluting and violating their god-given manliness is seeing harry styles from one direction on the cover of Vogue wearing an evening dress and the world celebrating it. Similarly, women, instead of being celebrated and cherished, are too often objectified, violated and abused. And that's not just by men, but by women alike, by society, by culture. And a woman's physical form, which is actually part of her God-given beauty, has just like manhood, been utterly mishandled. And in Western society, women's bodies are relentlessly exposed and objectified. So often men cannot help but be aroused by both the innately physical beauty of a woman, but also the high exposure to her female form. And then in less developed parts of the world, women are often repressed or their femininity is kept hidden for the sake of maybe religion or extreme modesty or tradition, which then creates a hypersensitivity to female sexuality because a woman's body is seen as forbidden fruit. But in both cases, whether it's in the West or in developed parts of the world, a woman's body becomes the object of unhealthy sexual focus. And this also happens in the church when sexuality is misunderstood or sexuality is taboo or where sexual repression is common or when our minds have not been sanctified. And this also occurs when we lack an authentic and healthy relationship with the opposite sex. This is why I believe pornography is such a huge issue in the church and why relationships between the sexes in Christianity can be so darn awkward and restrained because I think when someone has to 
suppress their sexual curiosities as a lifestyle where they're not able to talk about sex in a healthy way and interact with the beautiful mystery of sexuality in an honoring way, then I think it can cause sexual angst and repression, which would then require an outlet such as masturbation. And actually some studies that have been carried out argue that the mystery of the opposite sex developing separately for years is a driving factor in sexual attraction. So essentially what is exotic becomes erotic. Whereas if our sexuality was a natural celebrated part of who we are and not shunned or swept under the carpet, then surely there would be a healthy mystery and wonder about sexuality that would make sex far less taboo and I think it would evoke more of a grace to be able to navigate through your sex drive and so it would lessen the need to resort to an illicit release of pent-up unhealthy mystery and sexual attraction through having to then engage in porn or masturbation. And so I do think that if sexuality is talked about in healthy mixed sex dynamics and it becomes something that's immensely cherished, precious and deeply valued, yet more normal and accessible, then I believe we can better steward our sexuality with grace and healthy wonder, patience and dignity. And so I believe that fostering a culture of transparency and healthy intimacy can help to break these misconceptions and taboos between the sexes and it can actually encourage powerful, authentic, non-sexual relationships to develop. And also navigating through this journey of stewarding sexuality with more connection with the opposite sex I think would help to eliminate confusion and awkwardness and it would also help to prepare for future relationships and for marriage. And I think most definitely that the church has a huge role to play in fostering a safe environment for discussions and support where you've got mentoring and teaching in place and you know where you're really cultivating and applying correct biblical understanding of sexuality and for us to be able to demonstrate as Christians how to role model within every sphere of society what the beauty and the liberty of sacred sexuality actually looks like and also for us to be able to demonstrate as Christians how to steward desire in a holy way instead of in a lustful way. And I don't know if some of you as listeners remember either from my book or from previous podcasts that lust is taking a legal need and meeting it illegally. And so to know that we are desired is actually a legal need. And it stems from us all being innate carriers of beauty as those who are made in the image of God. And it also stems from us being divinely wired for connection. And the crazy irony is that sexual messaging in society is so effective because the world taps into a God-wired sexual desire within us that the church far too often, unfortunately, 
is failing to confidently address and minister to and so the world is able to speak directly to our desire to be desired through fashion and beauty and through sport and media and through the arts and entertainment and through the cultural norms about dating and relationships so powerfully because the church doesn't often tap into that innate wiring that we have to be desired. Because ultimately what we all want at the deepest level is the feeling of being desired. And when we feel desired by someone, we tap into our deepest longing to be fully known, to be loved and accepted for who we are. And as image bearers of Christ, as those that were wired to be desired, we should be honorably speaking desire over one another, showing that we see each other and that we desire with a holy desire who one another has been made to be. And we should be celebrating our gender differences and admiring and affirming one another with purity of heart and seeking to call out and celebrate one another's God-reflecting beauty and attributes, no matter what someone might look like on the outside, because ultimately we are all made in the image of God and worthy to be desired and known. But if there is a deficit of this God-ordained dynamic of appreciating beauty and celebrating gender attributes in one another, or if it's not stewarded well and mishandled or misunderstood even, then how we engage with and treat the opposite sex has the potential to lack celebration, lack honour, or to be unhealthy or turn into lust. And in so many ways, that enemy has violated both masculinity and femininity to bring misunderstanding and strife between God's creation. When the truth is that God created males and females to complement one another as brothers and sisters in God, where these two halves put together would represent the totality of God. God created us as brothers and sisters in him, children of the same father, part of the same kingdom family where agape love, unconditional love prevails, where honor prevails. And this gender celebration between the sexes is what I believe God wants to see restored. And I truly believe that God is wanting to redeem our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can steward our sexuality when it comes to interacting with the opposite sex, not as something to be intimidated by or to perceive as taboo, but actually first and foremost as siblings in the kingdom who celebrate one another, where we are able to understand and appreciate the divine and diverse way that God created us and where we can learn how to truly honour one another despite Satan's efforts to attack our genders where we learn to actually see one another as image bearers of Christ, worthy, beautiful and treasured, where intimidation and confusion and fear and lust and sensuality and hypersensitivity to sexuality is displaced from our relationships and instead Christ is placed at the centre of our God-ordained complementary differences. And I believe God wants us to role model to a broken, fragile world the beauty and freedom 
that lies in embracing a lifestyle of sacred sexuality between males and females, between men and women. And I believe that during the fall, something was stolen from the Garden of Eden that this generation has the opportunity to redeem. Because before Adam and Eve ever had sex, they enjoyed nakedness as a brother and sister in the Lord, as siblings in God's family before sin ever entered in. They were unashamed, completely confident in their sexuality as individuals, free, pure and naked. And the Bible tells us that they did not have sex until they left the garden in Genesis 4.1. And so, from what I understand, if the first time that the Bible mentions that Adam and Eve had sex was indeed the first time that they did have sex, then it means that the whole time that they were in the garden naked and without sin, they were actually brother and sister in the Lord because they hadn't consummated their marriage. And as sexual beings in the Garden of Eden who had not yet had sex, their sexuality was completely devoid of shame. But when sin entered into the mix, that's when they experienced shame. And that's when they felt the need to cover up their sexuality. To get the backstory, guys, read Genesis 3 and 4. But the beautiful thing is this, that as children of God, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, we have been released from the condemnation of the original sin that this first couple committed in the Garden of Eden, where everything, including sexuality, became compromised and contaminated, and we've now been put right by God. Because it says this in Romans 5.8. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the doors for all humanity to become sinners, so also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. And so our sexuality, along with everything else that now pertains to us, has been restored back to its original identity and place of perfection and innocence before God. And as the redeemed of the Lord, we therefore have the capacity as sexual beings to experience the purity, the holiness, the confidence and celebration that Adam and Eve would have experienced in the garden when they were brother and sister in Christ naked before sin ever entered the mix. And it's a posture where we are stripped of all shame where we don't have to repress sexuality or be embarrassed about it, but we get to celebrate it in ourselves and in one another, where purity and unconditional love, where value and honor can set the scene for edifying mixed sex relationships as image bearers of Christ, where both sexes are standing side by side, honorably walking in the fullness of their respective genders, celebrating their sexuality without crossing any boundaries into any kind of lust or perversion or dishonor. 
And it's a celebratory dynamic that not only enriches our lives and fosters healthy, authentic relationship dynamics between us, but it also role models dignity and purity between the sexes in our culture. And I love what C.S. Lewis says in The Four Loves when he's speaking about drawing out treasure through mixed sex relationships. And he basically says that friendship is a posture of two or more people standing side by side, discussing the truths that they have in common. And he explains that lovers, by contrast, stand face to face, focusing exclusively on one another. But, he says, a side-by-side interaction has space for many others because it's not exclusive and so it brings more enriching conversations that only two could and in a mixed friendship dynamic, each person plays a specific role in the larger whole which has the capacity to draw otherwise hidden treasure out of each person. And I actually love this quote from The Four Loves. He says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specific Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. So he's basically saying that we all bring out different sides of each other, that if we weren't interacting with each other, then there are parts of one another's character and personality that are never going to come to the surface because just that interactive dynamic between the sexes in friendship groups draws out treasure in each person that would actually otherwise remain hidden. And so doing community together in mixed honoring relationships side by side has the potential to draw out untapped aspects of our individual personality and character that perhaps can only be unveiled in a dynamic of friendship between the sexes. And so doing life in mixed groups and building mixed sex community, interacting honestly about life and struggles, about preferences and desires, like all these things I think are healthy for us if done honorably. And also authentic, holy and honoring relationships with the opposite sex are a fruitful way to prepare for dating and courtships because of what they can draw out of an individual. And actually, I think that sometimes... There's a lack of people getting together in church environments, not because the potential isn't there, but because we don't interact with one another enough. And so we often don't see below the surface and we fail to pierce through that initial stage of physical attraction. So if you see someone and you don't think that you are attracted to them, then you rule them out. But because you haven't been friends with them, you don't actually get to ever explore what's under the surface of the aesthetics. And of course, attraction is important. And in most cases, I believe God gives you someone that you are physically attracted to. 
But cultivating friendship enables you to be attracted to someone's soul and spirit beyond their physical appeal. And when healthy boundaries are in place, I'm so convinced that authentic mixed groups can genuinely meet our innate need for affirmation and value. And it also helps during dating because if you already have authentic friendships in place and then you get into a dating relationship, you're not going to explode with curiosity about the opposite sex and you already would have experience of comfortably interacting with the opposite sex, of being yourself, of being self-controlled and confident at the same time. And I also think that it then lessens any need or any risk where you might want to give a lot of yourself away in a relationship and get super intimate or seek that validation or seek that significance from your boyfriend or girlfriend because you actually already have a level of confidence and contentment and healthy awareness of who you are and your identity because you're used to being around the opposite sex quite comfortably. And so as a result, you don't place the responsibility to make yourself feel desired on a boyfriend or a girlfriend because we already feel loved or seen or celebrated through the affirmation of our relationship with Christ our faith, our family, our mixed friendship groups and the community around us. But having said that, mixed sex friendship groups must obviously be built upon a foundation of respect and honour and agape love that blesses and builds one another up. So this would involve carrying yourself honourably around your friends of the opposite sex. It would involve dressing modestly and displaying honoring body language and actually applying the same kind of dignity that you would if you were a married person. And when it does come to mixed honoring friendships, which can be an amazing environment for mutual appreciation and admiration of one another's femininity and masculinity and all the good stuff about you, I personally think that we should avoid intentionally flirting with each other just because you're of the opposite sex and you're friends with each other it's not a license to flirt because ultimately flirting is leading someone on with your words or your gestures and making obvious romantic advances or toying and teasing and jesting and if we are in honoring relationships with one another which are built upon love and genuine care then we're not going to want to try and seduce or toy with one another's hearts, even if there might be an attraction there. And when we choose to deliberately flirt with one another, if we are serious about practicing purity, then we don't have the capacity to follow through with some of the words and the signals that we are actually displaying when we're flirting with someone. And Obviously, I know that when you have an attraction to someone, you might find yourself naturally flirting with them a little. And that, you know, yes, that's the dynamic of attraction, really. But I'd suggest keeping it innocent and pure and not engaging in any sexual innuendo. And bearing in mind that when it comes to flirting, when you're married, you can flirt until the cows come home. And flirting within marriage is a beautiful thing and it will keep marital communication alive and 
passionate. And when you're flirting with your spouse, everything that you are suggesting in your gestures and, you know, in your body language and all of that, you can follow through with that. But when you are a single or even when you're dating and you're flirting with someone, you don't have the capacity to follow through with any seductive flirting that you might be suggesting unless you intend to sin. You know, and if you are attracted to someone, you can totally express it without resorting to flirting or deliberate seduction. And actually, fancying someone that you might be in a friendship with can actually be a beautiful thing. But I think it's wise to be cautious when approaching someone if you are attracted to them. Because if it doesn't pan out the way that you're hoping, then it could potentially affect your friendship. Um, But it's a beautiful thing to explore. And if it does work out, then that's incredible. Um, But I think it is helpful to not box someone in that you have attraction for into like potential spouse mode where you don't get into any fantasy or assumptions and I think it's better to master your emotions from the start if you are attracted to someone and to not jump the gun too quickly or to not try and manipulate the situation so that you know you conveniently end up together alone you know I just think be careful when it comes to potentially manipulating these things and actually just enjoy one another's friendship and let the friendship grow organically like don't try and strive is what I would say and I think being attracted to someone that you are in a friendship with and maybe that you know is part of a bigger group I think that's actually a great way to measure how you really do feel about that person without needing to say anything or without needing to take any action or come to any conclusion or decisions and it's also good to be able to glean what that person might be like around other friends and around family and and it also reveals how they communicate and carry themselves around the opposite sex and it tends to show someone in their relaxed natural vibe where they're not putting on a front or they're not trying to impress you and you also get to observe someone's spiritual walk as well and how they conduct their relationship with Christ which is super important if you do end up dating because when you are dating sure you might discover things about someone's relationship with Christ and you know you will obviously get to know them but I'm sure that will take time and you know let's be honest when you're dating at the beginning you kind of modify your behavior to convey a certain image but in a friendship group there's like more potential for sincere discovery of one another's true personality or true disposition and even their weaknesses which are kind of good to know and having a friendship in place like especially in a mixed community is also a good way to overcome barriers to physical attraction that might have initially have been there because in a friendship you're able to discover someone's heart and a physical attraction that wasn't originally there can then develop more easily than if all you had to go by was their physical appearance and so as I mentioned before if you are you know friends with someone and you do end up developing an attraction then actually that can be a brilliant foundation for dating and if you do then choose to pursue something deeper I think that 
a relationship that starts like that is probably more serious from the onset than simply dating. And that can often lead to more of a courting relationship with an intention to marry, which I personally perceive to be a healthier dynamic, but it might not work for everyone. Um, Or if you do like someone, it could be that you simply approach the person that you're attracted to. And if it is mutual, then pursue more one-on-one interaction, even if it isn't leading towards something as serious. And that's okay too, because, you know, you don't actually need to put that kind of pressure on yourself and you can just enjoy an honoring, you know, dating relationship. But it is good to define vision and to talk about what you two are looking for. So let's chat about who pursues who. And I'm probably going to sound like a total granny because I actually wholeheartedly agree with the Bible when it says that it is the man who finds a wife in Proverbs 22. And this is coming from someone who in the world, if I liked someone, I would totally just approach them. I would give them my number. I would even go after guys who were with someone. Like I didn't really care about who pursued who. And in fact, I actually thought that it was powerful that I pursued guys that I might be attracted to. But I don't think that way anymore. And yes, there are isolated examples in the Bible of women initiating romance. But I personally do believe that God created men to be the pursuers and women to respond. And I think this is healthy and orderly. But There are Christians who don't see it that way and would encourage the girl to pursue a guy. And that's totally cool if that kind of works for you. But for me personally, I would suggest that if you do initially like someone and you might be tempted as a girl to take the lead, and I'm not saying that you don't indicate that you're interested, but really it's about pursuing and it's about taking the lead. So as a girl, you might be tempted to take the lead if the guy that you're interested in isn't showing an interest. And it might seem like harmless and totally legit at the time, like no big deal. But I think that that can undermine the man's role as the pursuer. And I think that it can set the stage for the girl to then become the permanent pursuer in a potential relationship. Not That's not always the case, but... I would say that that could potentially be what ends up happening. And so I think that if the guy pursues, then it protects a girl's heart. Because I simply just don't think that a relationship should involve the woman initiating most of the moves. I think it strips the man of the opportunity to chase the girl and prove himself. And I think guys should be confidently walking in their God-given role as pursuers and using their initiative and overcoming their fears and valuing a woman worthy enough to approach her. And obviously, although I'm saying that I don't think it's healthy for a girl's heart to be the one pursuing, but I think there are other ways to let a guy know that a girl is interested in him without resorting to taking the lead. And this could simply just be being relaxed and authentic around the person that you're attracted to and taking a genuine interest in him and in his life and you know what he's up to and not as a potential boyfriend or a husband but literally as someone that you are intrigued by 
and you know without being super spiritual but literally just as a brother in the lord that you're curious about um and that could involve chatting about work or career or ministry or experiences and passions and it really doesn't have to be too deep or intimate and it's not really about singling him out it's just engaging in honoring interaction and just enjoying it and what i will say to the ladies who are losing heart because you're not being pursued and you feel like you should potentially take matters into your own hands can i just declare over you right now that you are literally worthy to be pursued and if the guy that you want to pursue you is worth your time worth your company worth your beauty and your heart then let him be the one to approach you and if he doesn't then release him and just continue to trust God. Let God do the leading. And if God wants the relationship between you to happen and you both are yielded to God, then God will be the ultimate matchmaker. And if things don't develop, then at least you still have an authentic friendship still in place with one another that can remain fruitful and Christ-centered. And that actually goes for guys that you might like. And even if you're not friends with them, let them be the ones that pursue you, is what I would say but each to their own, and that might not necessarily be your way of looking at things. But when it does come to taking the lead, I think guys should be fully released to approach someone honorably. And for a Christian man, getting married at some point should be a desirable part of progressive development into manhood. It's healthy to be seeking a spouse and not just keeping your options open and simply dating for the sake of dating. And so I think that if you are a bloke, you should be wise to avoid being casual or non-committed in your approach when it comes to dating and prayerfully seek God to give you wisdom on who to pursue and avoid going after every potential option. Otherwise, you're going to find it hard to discern who really could be the right one for you, especially if you then become emotionally attached to lots of different women. And so if you are getting ready to initiate something with someone, then have accountability with someone that you look up to or a mentor or a friend that you can be accountable to so that there's someone praying for you and there's someone maybe counseling you and kind of you know someone that you can bounce stuff off of and obviously for a guy I mean she might reject you there's always that risk my friend and I guess that's part of the reason I think that sometimes there's a real drought in Christendom of men approaching women and maybe it's because they don't want to get rejected. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but actually, pursuing someone and getting rejected, I mean, it's part and parcel of being a pursuer, of trusting God, of being a leader and having nothing to fear. I would say don't even worry about rejection. Just make sure you approach the woman in an honoring way. And so to show an interest in someone that you like, you might choose to be quite low key and just test the ground and spend a lot of time with her. Or you might make your intentions very, very clear with honor and dignity and pursue her quite boldly. But whichever approach you take, allow her the safety and the space of responding in an appropriate way. And if she responds positively, then pursue the relationship with accountability. And if her response is negative, then 
hopefully you'll still have a good friendship in place and things won't be too awkward. But I think the best way really to try and ensure that doesn't happen is just to be super honoring when you approach her in the first place. And actually, if you are two people who do like end up getting the hots for each other in like a mixed group, then be honest with yourselves and before God. And so if there is someone that we consistently find ourselves drawn to or we're maybe wanting to flirt with and we're both singling each other out for individual attention, then this is something that actually would be good to honorably address. And so you might choose to have a conversation together and define your intentions and explore if the feelings are mutual and if it's something that you both want to pursue. And if not, then kind of hold back from focusing on each other and avoid sending any mixed messages. And I think ultimately in anything when it comes to sexuality, it's about having a pure heart no matter what. And if mixed sex relationships in the kingdom are going to flourish and if they're going to be fruitful and they're going to enrich our lives, then it's important to always navigate through them with purity and authenticity, honor and love. So if anyone is going to pursue anyone, I just bless that and I speak favor over it and I hope it all goes well. So let me now talk about dating and sexuality. As I've obviously been talking about dating that arises out of friendship, I think that's a great way to start a romantic relationship. And actually, back in the day, I'm sure many of you would agree that dating would often involve the community around you, like your parents, your church elders or relatives that, you know, might do a bit of matchmaking and suggest different people for each other. And actually, the compatibility factors that are involved in either meeting someone through an established friendship or being set up by family or community or people that you know, the compatibility in that kind of a setup is hugely positive. And although it might not guarantee success, but it does eliminate some of the challenges that dating a stranger might often bring. But this traditional practice of being set up by the community around you is now quite rare, I think, in the Christian community. And so now other ways of approaching dating exist. And some people find themselves involved in unconventional measures to find someone to be with. And actually for some people, the lack of dating opportunities can be a huge issue. But even if you are a Christian and the lack of dating opportunities are frustrating, I would still say that dating like the world is a waste of time because the world dates for fun and for pleasure. And dating with that kind of approach as Christians will be fruitless and potentially painful in the long run. And once the emotional pull and the attraction and the initial novelty wanes, and the relationship comes to an end, then with it, it's gonna bring lots of heartache and wasted time and wasted effort and energy. And you might have even found yourself facing the repercussions of compromising your sexuality. And this kind of dating is well worth avoiding in my personal opinion. And you know, that's not to say that, you know, you're not going to have heartache or you're not going to end up ending relationships, even if you do them honorably. And even if you don't date like the world, but I think when we date like the world, 
um, there's just more potential of continuously getting it wrong and having no purpose to it and actually compromising your sexuality. So I would say the approach that you take to dating should avoid a worldly perspective. But if carried out with maturity, holiness, emotional intelligence, celebration and honour, dating can actually be a super fruitful experience and so if you do choose to date and it's something that you think could work for you then I think firstly you need to ask yourself why you want to date. Is it companionship? Is it because you're looking for intimacy? Is it because you want to have a good time? Is it because you want that affirmation or that value or you're seeking marriage or whatever reason it might be discovering what your reasons are will give you purpose and clarity. And some things that you might be seeking through dating might be the very things that actually God wants you to seek him for. But if you are satisfied in God and you're looking for companionship or a godly spouse, it can totally be a good thing. But whatever your vision might be, it will impact how and whom you choose to date. And obviously it goes without saying, how else are you going to know if someone even has potential unless you were to date them but I would say that if you do date then intentionally endeavor to be such a blessing to each other not focusing on what you can get but what you can give so that even if the relationship doesn't last you have truly enriched one another's lives and you've walked in honor and in purity and actually commit to having a positive impact on each other and raising one another higher into purpose and calling and encouraging one another to be the best version of yourselves in every single way and this would be what i would call dating with purpose and it would need to be carried out with purity honor and obviously spiritual and emotional maturity as well. And if you've never really considered dating, and perhaps you've always expected God to move in a certain way when it comes to relationships, I would say be open to God doing things in an unconventional way in your life, um, and that could involve dating. And if you do date, then try and enjoy the experience in an honorable way without putting too much pressure on yourself or the person that you end up dating. And I also do want to obviously mention courting too, which I referred to before, which is where you date someone with the intention of marrying them. And this obviously is a super traditional way and an incredibly honoring and purposeful way. And in so many cases, that is totally the right approach to take because you may already know that you're wanting to marry that person. And so your dating is geared towards marriage where you both have the same vision in mind. And obviously, two people that are courting, it may not always work out and it does have the potential to be quite pressurizing so I think if you do choose to court then just make sure that it is the right thing for you both um, because things are quite serious from the onset which has its pros and cons. So I'm now going to just unpack super quickly different ways that you might meet someone. So firstly, let's talk about divine matchmaking. I love this because I am properly just a spiritual romantic and I really do believe that 
God loves to arrange our romantic relationships for us if we give him the chance. And although I do believe that God could have more than one person for someone, and I think that he works with us and he honors our free will, but I do believe that if we give God the honor of choosing someone for us, that he delights in getting involved. And when it comes to divine hookups, where someone might feel that they have had a word from God about a spouse, and like that totally might be the case, but it also at times might not be the case. And someone might just think that they heard from God, but actually it was not him at all. So anything like this would need to be pursued with caution and wisdom. And I think checked out with people that you are accountable to and that you have, you know, a good relationship because it can have the potential to be deceptive. You know, our hearts can be deceptive. But when it really is God bringing two people together, it can be a beautiful thing, but that's not to say it's not without problems. And so even if a couple has been divinely put together by God, the dating still needs to be conducted prayerfully, I think, and with wisdom. And nothing should simply just be taken for granted just because two people have, you know, divinely or prophetically come together. But I think Equally, meeting someone randomly or unexpectedly being introduced to a potential partner can be God as well. And I just believe that God can show up anytime or at any place with the right person for you to be with. And so don't just assume that because you may not currently have anyone around you who you think would be suitable for you, this doesn't mean that the situation can't change in a split second. And don't underestimate a God setup showing up for you, even if what you might be experiencing right now in life may not feel like one. And, you know, if you are in a dating relationship and you don't know if it's a God thing or if it's a flesh thing, I would say that if you're consistently prayerful and authentic and you're honoring each other and first and foremost, you're treating each other as a brother and sister in the Lord. And that if God is central in your lives, that you can trust God is leading you as you date. And if God is in the relationship, you will have peace in your heart about being together, even if you haven't had any, you know, irrefutable signs or confirmations. Next one, internet dating. It's obviously not uncommon to meet someone online anymore, and it can actually be so fruitful in this day and age. For me, I think it's a shady area, and I would avoid it, but that is not to say that it has not worked for people I mean, I've heard of so many incredible stories within the Christian world where God specifically directed couples to one another on dating sites. And I personally know a couple who met on a dating site and 10 years down the line, they're still, you know, married and going strong and they're a lovely couple. And so if that's what you feel God has said to you, then go for it. But I personally would only recommend venturing into this if you have heard from God or if you have the kind of disposition and character that won't get sidetracked. 
because I think when it comes to anything online, there's so much potential for deception or false messaging and attachment issues involved in the process of going through like all the suitable profiles and engaging online. But if you feel that actually that's a good setup for you and you're emotionally mature and you feel God on it, then there is no reason why internet dating shouldn't be something that you pursue. But what I would say is that if you do jump on to internet dating, then pray over your mind before you log on and ask God to lead you by his spirit. And if you do meet someone that you like online, then I would suggest meeting them in person as soon as you can, just so that, you know, you're kind of bringing clarity and healthy human interaction to the process. So next, dating a non-believer. So because there might not be a lot happening in Christendom, there might be some Christians who have found that, you know, they've trusted God and they've waited patiently and they've tried other ways and still nothing has materialized. And so you do maybe end up dating a non-believer. Um, and then in some cases, even if Christians are available, a believer might choose to date someone who's not a Christian for whatever reason. Um, and I think one misconception for someone dating a non-believer can often be that if they pray hard enough, the person that they're dating will get saved. And yes, I have definitely heard of a few stories where an unbelieving person dated a believer and they were so radically inspired by their believing girlfriend or boyfriend that they did end up becoming a Christian because of it. But I personally think that's an exception and not a rule. I think that this concept of flirt to convert or missionary dating, where you think you can convert someone through dating, I just don't think it can really work. I mean, I've personally had experience of that when I first got saved and I was properly on fire for Jesus. I mean, I was living sold out for him. And then I just suddenly just met someone who was so fit, it was ridiculous. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I totally ended up backsliding. And then that led to like 18 months of heartache. And as a result, I mean, that's what made me decide that I would never date an unbeliever. And actually at that point, I also decided that I was never gonna date anyone after that moment. Um, and that the next guy that I would date would be someone that I was gonna marry. And so, you know, from my own personal experience, missionary dating, it very rarely works. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.14, stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything in common with darkness? So no matter how exciting or compatible the relationship might initially seem, light and darkness cannot truly flourish together. And ultimately, God wants us to bloom in our relationships on all levels. And let's face it, striving for purity is hard enough amongst believers, but it's virtually impossible to strive for purity with a non-believer because you simply are not going to be able to wholeheartedly pursue purity or enjoy the rich fruit that can come from a couple 
walking in purity together when you are in a relationship with someone that doesn't have the same biblical values that you have got. And no matter how much affection you might feel for your unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend, in my personal opinion, missionary dating usually equals disaster. And so let's now talk about dating with sexual purity, because whichever approach you might take to dating, navigating through your relationship with purity and honor is crucial. And navigating dating with sexual purity is something that would require the commitment of both partners, where you would give God your sexuality as a couple. And though obviously it will take a huge amount of sacrifice, but by preserving your purity, you would be so richly sowing into the rest of your lives. And even if the relationship did not last, to have preserved your purity would not only give you confidence knowing that you kept yourself pure for the right spouse later on, but you will also reap the rewards of self-control and sacrificial love and dignity in your current relationship. But if you did actually end up getting married, then staying pure during courtship would potentially also enhance your sex life when married because studies do show that no sex before marriage actually helps strengthen the marriage and premature sex limits our yada covenant intimacy that we enjoy with our spouse because not only does premature sex rob us of true intimacy and damage the bonding mechanisms that foster loyalty in marriage. But when we engage in sexual immorality during our courtship or our dating, then there's a risk that the same disregard for one another's honor and purity and dignity and well-being could actually lead to adultery after marriage. Because ultimately, sexual impurity together is dishonoring towards one another. And although when you're dating, it might seem like, you know, that you can't wait to kind of get physically intimate and this desire and infatuation for one another can really, I think when you're dating, make your sexual passion for each other almost uncontrollable. But actually infatuation is in fact lust. And in Latin, the word actually means false fire. So when we resort to infatuation, we are engaging in a false passion and shortchanging ourselves and we're settling for a counterfeit fire. But what God desires is that we enjoy the raging, authentic, unbridled fire which God has reserved for sexual passion within marriage. And he desires that until marriage, we exercise the spirit of self-control to preserve ourselves from engaging in false fire. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the grace and patience to wait until marriage to enjoy sexual passion in its fullness. But obviously, this is easier said than done. Because let's face it, it's not easy to just switch off the desire button, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, especially if you are strongly attracted to someone that you are in a dating relationship with. And so how on earth do we contain our natural sexual urges when we're dating in the face of attraction and desire? How do we resist sexual temptation in dating and how do we hold out for greater sexual fulfillment 
found in marriage. Well, here are some practical steps that I hope will help. So firstly, set some boundaries. So at the beginning of your relationship, set clear boundaries, because if these are not discussed from the onset of your relationship, then hormones and attraction and desire and passion will inevitably take over. And, you know, maybe it's not something that you talk about on your first date, but I would say try and kind of set these boundaries as early as possible. Um, Now let's talk about kissing. I personally think you should make a collective decision about kissing as soon as you can. Because if you don't talk about whether you're going to kiss or not, then invariably kissing will take place very soon after your relationship begins. And as common as kissing might be, it's actually a deeply intimate act. And I don't think you should just take it lightly. And obviously you could kiss just on the lips, but kissing using tongues is a penetrative act and it does unite to people. And, you know, kissing has this crazy capacity to give you the most incredible butterflies and to spur sexual desire and pleasure in the craziest way and to release dopamine and all these other feel-good hormones and you know it arouses you in just the craziest way it leads to a deeper sexual connection which actually outside of marriage it's a desire that cannot be fully satisfied and Kissing is meant to be all these amazing things, but I believe it's meant to be enjoyed after you get married. And I know that to not kiss the person that you are physically and sexually attracted to would be so hard. I mean, I'm not even, you know, saying it would be easy. It would be crazy to not kiss someone um, that you are dating But just imagine if you wait until your wedding day to kiss one another, imagine the fruit, imagine that when, you know, the minister says you may now kiss the bride, imagine if that is actually the first time that you kiss the bride, that would be insane. And there would be such a beauty and a richness and a value on the intimacy that you would have preserved yourselves for after marriage. And People might be like, yeah, but what if you end up kissing after marriage and actually it's rubbish kissing. But with kissing, as with sex, as with anything, you've got the rest of your lives together to develop your capacity to kiss well and to have sex well. So not being able to measure someone's capacity to kiss is not really a deal breaker, I don't think. And I think even if someone isn't a great kisser when you do get married... You've got the rest of your lives together to work on it. Now, as a couple, if kissing doesn't actually lead you to anything saucier, then kissing might totally work for you. But I personally have found that kissing using tongues ends up being a catalyst for sexual activity and sexual arousal and does actually foster impure thoughts. And it would... I think in most cases lead to sexual foreplay, which I think would lead to sexual sin. 
And actually, when it comes to sexual purity in dating, many people are pretty deceived when it comes to foreplay before marriage. And some people have this twisted, jacked up idea that as long as they do not actually have intercourse, then everything else is okay. So I've had conversations with Christians who are kissing away, heavy petting, oral sex, the whole nine yards, because in their minds, as long as penetrative sex is not taking place, then they are still virgins. But virginity is not a technicality. Like you're not a virgin just because you haven't actually had penetrative sex. Virginity is about having a pure heart. And so remaining pure does not simply mean technically avoiding intercourse. It's about literally fleeing everything that leads to impure thoughts, to defilement, to lust and sexual immorality. And this isn't because God is against sex or he doesn't want you to get horny, but because he wants you to wait for the best sex in marriage. And like I said before, God isn't trying to punish us. He's actually trying to preserve us for his best. And so just to clarify, any sort of sexual activity before marriage is a danger zone as far as I am personally concerned. And that I think includes French kissing, but it's between you and the person that you're dating and between you and God, if you feel that actually kissing is fine for you in a relationship. And also just to mention that um, sometimes some people can think that because they know for a fact that they're definitely going to get married to the person that they're dating, so then they'll end up having sex with the person, convincing themselves that actually we're going to get married anyway. But even if you do end up getting married to that person, getting physical before marriage will not only lead to guilt and condemnation and shame, but it will also create soul ties and demonic footholds such as seducing spirits and there'll be emotional and sexual bonding outside of your marriage covenant which the Holy Spirit isn't going to be able to bless and so until you do actually marry that person honor your partner's sexuality as if they were someone else's future spouse like don't take their sexuality for granted because you will actually end up defiling your marital bed if you do end up getting married. And all this chat about, you know, don't do this and don't do that and da 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 This isn't about like dating couples having a hypersensitivity to sexuality in a relationship because if everything is about sensuality and about what you can do and you can't do in a relationship, then the taboo factor of it is likely to make sexual temptation in a relationship even harder to resist because what's exotic becomes erotic. And so cultivating intimacy of a deeper kind, so that the closer you get emotionally and spiritually and mentally and even creatively, the less you end up focusing on all the sexual connection and actually enjoy it, touching each other in a non-sexual way. You know, hold hands, kiss each other's cheeks and hold each other in a way that doesn't lead to any hanky-panky. And if you can foster non-sexual intimacy, strive towards this because the reward will be so worth it. There's so much benefit in not awakening love until 
it's time. That's what Song of Solomon tells us in 8.4. And I've known so many couples who went too far with the person that they're dating and they've regretted it before and even after their marriage. And God in his supreme love and wisdom wants to preserve us from that kind of pain and that kind of regret. So a few other pointers. If you are dating, have people that you're accountable to, people that, you know, you honor and who honor you, who love you, who will speak kindly but truthfully to you, people that actually know your triggers for temptation, who you can be honest with about the sexual purity that you want to, you know, foster in your dating relationship and actually someone that you can reach out to if you end up falling in that area as well. Other things include avoiding danger zones. So like try not to be at home alone after a certain time. You know, if watching TV and lying on the bed at 2 a.m. in the morning together is a danger zone for you because you end up getting frisky with each other, then avoid doing that. You know, the places where you know are hotspots where you end up getting tempted, avoid them. Set curfews in place so that you're not alone together after a certain time in the home, maybe. Um, So if you know that you're not going to get tempted outdoors, then maybe do a lot of stuff outdoors instead. Also, be mindful of things that place you in tempting situations. So, for example, if you both, you know, consume alcohol when you're together and it clouds your judgment, then avoid drinking alcohol on your dates. If a cozy little cinema outing leads to some hanky-panky when you're in the dark and you're watching a film, then avoid the movies. Um, Don't go on holiday together. Um, A group holiday would be far better, but even then, I think you should still put some clear boundaries and curfews in place. Um, I also think avoiding seduction and manipulation when you're together. So, you know, when two people are dating, there's a temptation to really want to impress each other, maybe in the way that they carry themselves or the way that they dress. And, you know, a guy's going to want to flex his muscles and really let his girl know just how fit he is. And a girl might want her man to know, you know, just how sexy and how shapely she is. But all those things could potentially really be temptation hotspots. So, you know, walk in love towards one another and don't seduce each other, even if you're doing it because you want each other to like it each other more but you know care about each other's heart and actually talk about temptation have conversations about sexuality and be honest about one another's triggers and temptations and you know behaviors or flirting language or clothing that one another might have that you find tempting or anything really that you feel could potentially cause you to stumble and out of a place of honor and purity avoid those things and and really remind each other of your reasons for why you want to walk in purity and actually why you want to avoid the repercussions of stumbling sexually because if you are dating someone and you guys don't talk about why you want to stay pure, then your attraction and infatuation for one another could take over. And your desire to be a righteous Christian in that moment could go out of the window. But if you know that actually, when we do this, my boyfriend experiences such guilt and shame, and actually he doesn't feel comfortable about approaching God for days after that, then I'm going to want to do everything I can to not just walk in purity, but to avoid that kind of guilt and shame for someone that I love. 
So talking about why you want to walk in purity is helpful and reminding one another and actually staying accountable to that is super important as well. And prayer obviously is a key thing, you know, praying about purity in your relationship is hugely important. Keeping God central in your dating is the best thing that you can do for one another. And in fact, it's the only way that you can expect to truly be fruitful. And also praying about sexual temptation individually and as a couple is important. And then finally, don't let the person you're dating become an idol. Continue to keep God center stage, seated upon the throne of your heart and continue to spend personal time pursuing intimacy with him. Avoid being swept away by the excitement and the novelty of the relationship. I'm not saying not to enjoy the fun and the newness and the joy and the beauty of it all, but don't let it take God's place. And please don't be misled into thinking that a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a spouse can fulfill you in a greater way than God can. Because ultimately only God can complete us. Only God can truly meet our needs for true intimacy first and foremost. And our relationships with people are only as good as our own intimacy with Jesus. And so pursue communion with God as individuals and as a couple and rather than letting it be something that you know dwindles during dating resolve in your hearts that communion with God is actually going to intensify during your dating because both of you understand that to navigate through your relationship with unconditional love honor and wisdom you must both individually and collectively lean on Jesus with every fiber of your being. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. All related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section. If you did enjoy today's episode, then please do feel free to share it and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again. And thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast.